So, funny thing happened on the way to church this morning. <laughs> I got here and I told Mike um, I was going to be talking about brisket this morning. And he just opened up his glove box and pulled one out. <laughs> you know you're in the food industry when you got a brisket on hand. Wow! Okay, it wasn't in his glove box. But it was in the fridge. See, I said I needed a knife and a pan because I want to talk to the people about a brisket. He goes, you want a brisket? I'm like, yeah. So that's what a brisket looks like, or at least part of a brisket. I don't know. I'm not much of a meat guy. I just know I love eating it. So this is about a mother and a daughter who every time mom makes brisket, the daughter joins her. And mom gets out a tape measure. I should have asked for a tape measure. Who's got a tape measure in their pocket? You got a tape measure? Oh. Measure two inches. Cut it. Take the extra piece, throw it in the garbage. Measure two inches. Cut it. Take the extra piece, throw it in the garbage. And the daughter said, Mom, brisket comes out fabulous. Every time you make it, it's a perfect brisket. But why do you cut off the two inches and throw it in the garbage? She said, you know, that's a good question. That's how grandma showed me to do it. I know, let's call grandma and we'll ask grandma why she does it. So they got out their phone, put it on speaker. Yeah, mom, yeah, yeah, Cheryl, uh-huh, uh-huh, Listen, got a question for you. I was just sitting here with Jenny and she wants to know, you know how when we make brisket, we, you know, we take out the tape measure and we cut off a couple of inches, yeah. And then we go over to the other side and cover, yeah. Why do we do that? Well, I don't know. That's how your Aunt Laura taught me to do it when we were just little kids. She showed me how to make a brisket. Let's call Aunt Laura. Three-way. Okay, hang on. Do, 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 do. Aunt Laura. Now, Aunt Laura's getting a little up in years. Huh? <laughs> Aunt Laura! This is Jenny! Ah, hi, Jenny! What? Well, I was making a brisket with Mom and with Grandma. Well, we got Grandma on the phone. She's on the phone, too. And you know how every time we make a brisket, we, we cut off two inches on the right hand? Uh-huh. And we cut off two inches on the other hand? Uh-huh. Why do we do that? <laughs> so it'll fit in the pan! <laughs> Today's lesson is really not about brisket. It's about tradition. How many of you have ever either been part of a tradition or seen a tradition that you've done and you really don't know what the point of the tradition is? Let me see your hand. Yeah, most of you should be putting up your hand. You know, I'm part of a probably definitely one of the oldest people groups on the planet. We've got so many traditions. We don't know where half of, half of them left. We don't know where they come from. Let me have, before I talk to you a little more about tradition, I got this great uh, video clip. So if Pastor Mike will kill the lights, and if you guys will turn on the clip, we'll look at, look at this thing about tradition here. How do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition!
traditions. We've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work. How to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. share with you four true statements about tradition. Statement number one, our traditions can be a good thing. Statement number two, our traditions can draw us closer to God. 
Statement number three. Our traditions can be a bad thing. And you guess number four. Our traditions can keep us far from God. The Bible talks about both kinds of traditions, the good ones and the bad ones. I'm not talking about things God tells us to do. That's doctrine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about traditions, things we make up. They can be bad or good. So I'm going to give you a couple examples from the Bible of bad and good. We'll start with the bad. This is Jesus talking to some of the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might have otherwise received from me, it's a gift devoted to God. He's not to honor his father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are about rules taught by men. So there's this special sacrifice. Um, in the King James, it's called korban. It was based on the Hebrew word of what they're talking about there. They people who weren't well off could give money to help their parents or make korban sacrifice to God. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were saying, well, it's more important to give this sacrifice to God. Jesus said, wait a minute, there's nothing in the Bible that says to give this korban sacrifice. But there is something in the Bible that says honor your parents. And you're letting your parents go hungry because of your tradition, what you've made up. Don't do that. This tradition did not draw them closer to God. This tradition drove them further from God. The reason I'm talking to you about tradition, one of the reasons anyway, is because we're in the book of Jeremiah, and the chapter that I wanted to look at this morning, chapter 35, deals with tradition. Here's what happened. There's this group of people called Rechabites. God told the prophet Jeremiah, I want you to go to the Rechabites, invite them over, and offer to serve them some wine. Now, the Rechabites were descendants of Moses' father-in-law. Remember, Moses married that woman from Midian or whatever. They got married. Father-in-law came out and hung with them for a while, then went back. Well, apparently, these people were still an identifiable people group. The Babylonians were coming in to kill everybody, and they fled to Jerusalem because that's where the fort was. That's where the tower of the castle was. So they went there for safety. But God told Jeremiah to invite him over for some, for some wine. I don't know what Jeremiah knew or didn't know, but I can tell you this, the Rechabites don't drink wine. The Rechabites don't own houses. They won't build a house. They live in tents, and they wouldn't plant vineyards or fields, and they wouldn't become farmers. They had this tradition handed down to them from their great-great-great-great-great-grandfather like 300 years ago, where he wouldn't do those things, and he wouldn't let his kids do those things. And that tradition went from father to son, from father to son, for at least 300 years. And now here we are at the Rechabites, and they won't do those things. I don't know what Jeremiah knew, but he offered them wine. And here's what 
the Rechabites said, we have obeyed everything our forefather Jonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. We, nor our wives, nor our sons, nor our daughters have ever drunk wine. We haven't built houses to live in. We haven't planted vineyards, fields, or crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed everything our forefather Jonadab commanded us to do. Now, if that was the end of the story, I wouldn't be given this as an example of good tradition. Because why is that a good tradition? It's just a tradition. But God's take on it is way different. So let me share you God's take on it. Jeremiah said to the family of the Rechabites, this is what the Lord, the Almighty God of Israel says. You have obeyed the command of your father Jonadab and have followed all his instructions and have done everything he's ordered. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Jonadab, son of Rechab, will never fail to have a man to serve me. So, as a way of honoring your people for honoring your patriarch, in your family line forever, somebody will always serve the Lord God of Israel. Wow, a dynasty of servants before God because they kept a tradition that their great, 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 you know, 300 years removed grandfather set down for who knows why. Why would God honor that? Well, let me tell you what was going on. The children of Israel, Judah, were just about ready to be destroyed by God because of their hundreds of years of refusal to honor the word of God. These guys honored the word of their heavenly father, I mean of their physical father, when the Israelites wouldn't honor the word of their heavenly father. And God set them up as an amazing example of what obedience and honor and respect looks like. I can only imagine the shame these people should have felt for being in the presence of these Rechabites who knew how to honor their forefathers when our own people couldn't even honor God. So traditions, they can be good, they can be bad, they can draw us from God, they can pull us from God. You've got to be careful with traditions. Even in our culture, I've seen both sides. So what I want to do with you for the rest of the time I have with you is give you some concepts towards a balanced life of tradition. So you know what to do with the traditions in your life. First, I'll give you three keys, three principles that'll help you analyze your own traditions, determine to keep them or trash them, change them or whatever. Principle number one. So should I do this tradition or not do this tradition? Principle number one. If your tradition is contrary to God's word, chuck the tradition. Now you're probably thinking, of course, Steve, that's brilliant, number one, of course. But hold on a minute. These scribes and Pharisees thought they were honoring God with that tradition. They thought God's first in our lives. The Bible says God first. So it may not be as easy as you think to identify whether your, scriptural, uh, whether your tradition is scriptural or not is what I'm trying to say. Don't take it for granted. It may be more complicated than you think. Give it more attention. Is your tradition biblical or anti-biblical? And there's a third option, non-biblical. A tradition could be neither good nor bad. It's only what you make of it. So these Rechabites didn't want to live in houses. Bowie for them, but I'm going to live in a house. It worked for them, not going to work for me. You see? So traditions can go either way. So rule number one, if it's contrary to God's word, it's a bad tradition. Uh, rule number two, understand the law of liberty. I get this from Galatians 5.13. Listen. For you brothers 
We're called to freedom. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity to gratify your flesh. But through love, make it your habit to serve one another. He says elsewhere, all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So when it comes to tradition, do what you want. You're free to make your own decision. Just keep a couple things in mind. One is other people. Try to always serve other people. And don't allow your tradition to become something that feeds the flesh. So rule number one, if it's contrary to God's word, check it. Rule number two, do what you want. You're free in Christ. We've been called to liberty. Just don't use your liberty as an opportunity to indulge in your sinful nature. And don't forget other people in your service to God. And rule number three, or principle number three, don't judge others for not keeping your traditions. Romans 14, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And he who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and still gives God thanks. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So then why do you judge your brothers? Why do you look down on your brother? We all are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Let's therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Tradition, tradition. How do we handle our tradition? You may be fully convinced in the Lord that there's something you do that's good and right and godly and holy. I spoke to a lady the other day. Um, she's a Sabbath keeper, so she goes to a Seventh-day Adventist church, but her husband doesn't, and they're having problems. I said, well, if it, your husband is going to a good God-honoring church, go with him on Sunday, and you go on Saturday too. I said, is there a day of the week you can't worship God? She was so wrapped up in the traditions on Saturday that she didn't really think that, you know, okay, maybe Saturday is the Sabbath, maybe it's not the Sabbath, who cares? You can worship God any day of the week. So if your husband chooses to go to church at 3.30 in the morning on, and Monday, go! Worship God and have a relationship with your husband that's healthy. Maybe someday he'll tag along on Saturday because he'll come to the same conclusion. Don't judge one another. Traditions can be good or bad. If it's contrary to God's word, chuck it. Understand the law of liberty, number two, we're free to choose. And number three, don't judge others for their traditions. Now I want to talk to you about our culture and traditions in America. And especially for those of you who are followers of Jesus. Because culture and tradition can help or hinder your reaching out in the name of Jesus. So I'm going to throw the word tradition away for a moment and just use the word culture because it's really the same thing. Our culture is just a set of agreed upon traditions, the way we live life our way. The kind of foods we eat, he was saying how to eat, how to sleep, we're the same way, you know? How many of you have ever had smashed up cat eyeball soup? Why not? Because it's not part of our culture. And we would even turn up our nose at it and go, ew. I remember talking to a missionary one day. 
they were talking about the foods that different cultures ate, and they were really grossed out when they learned that we take cow muscle and grind it up and eat it in patties. They just thought that was the grossest thing. We call them hamburgers. But from their culture, that was like, ooh, you do that? Ooh, how can you do that? Culture, tradition. A balanced approach to tradition for outreach, for outreach purposes. There's a book called Radical Reformation by a pastor named Mark Driscoll. If you want to read a good book, by good I mean a book that's going to challenge you and stretch you and make you look at your faith from a different perspective, get that book, Radical Reformation by Mark Driscoll. I don't want you to shout out an answer, but I want you to think about something for a minute. Let's just say somewhere down the street that you drove by there was a gay bar and you knew it was a gay bar. And one day you drove by and saw me standing in the parking lot with my car parked in the gay bar. Let me tell you a story about Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll knew that Jesus hung out with prostitutes and sinners. But he didn't think he could do that, and he had a conflict within his soul. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with doing it if Jesus is doing it. So why do we have a problem doing it? So one day he runs into an old friend. True story. I might be getting some of the details wrong, but it's a true story. I even think his old friend was a former pastor, though that part I, I don't remember. I think they went to Bible college together or something. And his friend is now a vocal homosexual. He's like, dude, what happened? Why? He said, you just, you just want to judge me. You don't even care why. Listen, you know, what, what do you and I have in common anymore? We don't even need to talk about this. He goes, no, I really am curious, and I do want to know. And it's not about judging you. He said, really? Yeah, really. We have a meeting at the gay bar tonight for civil action we're involved in. Why don't you come and attend the meeting? So his synapses are going, he said, okay, I'll go. And he went to the meeting upstairs. They had a, a meeting room, a whole bunch of gay guys in there, and Pastor Mark. And he was introduced as Pastor Mark, and they were all like, wow, one of you with us? And they made a little fun, and he made a little fun back, and they teased each other. And he sat through the meeting, and a bunch of cool guys. He, he, he liked them. I'm not saying he approves of homosexuality, but can't you like somebody and be friends with somebody who you, who you don't approve of? Jesus did. I can. People are nice or not nice. Here's what I mean by saying, I can. Before I'll be your friend, fill out this survey. Have you ever been improperly divorced and remarried? Because that's against the Bible. And if you have, I cannot be your friend. Have you ever lied, cheated, or stolen? Because if you have, I cannot be your friend. Have you ever lusted after a woman who is not your wife? Because if you have, I cannot be your friend. Where does the list end? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So do we say, people on this side of the sin we won't be friends with. People on this, you know, I'll be friends with adulterers, but not homosexuals. Come on. So Mark attends the meeting. Nice guys. Good time. Gets out of the meeting, and he's standing in the parking lot of the church by his car. Parking lot of the church. Parking lot of the gay bar by his car. And he said his biggest concern at that moment was that somebody would see him standing there. 
And that's what, what, what would keep him from ministering in the first place. He was more concerned about what people would say and people would think than doing God's work. And he was ashamed of himself. And he decided from that moment on, his life was going to change. And he doesn't care what people think anymore. He doesn't care about cultural taboos. He cares about what the Bible says. And if people don't match up with the Bible who claim to be Christians, that's their problem. He's not going to let their opinion hinder him from ministering to people ever again. And he wrote a book about it. And that's the book I've challenged you to read. And in this book, he interviews a bunch of Christians, like a Christian guy who runs a tattoo parlor, a Christian guy who runs a brewery, and so on and so forth. And he challenges us to question where we stand with Jesus. Are we more concerned about our own culture, our culture that says drinking is bad, and therefore, we won't ever go into a bar that's filled with 300 unsaved people who need to hear about Jesus because somebody might see us in the bar. I haven't seen the verse in the Bible yet that says don't go into a bar. But most of us would never think to go there. We stay away from places like that. Why? Because I don't know why. Because people drink there? Well, because there might be a prostitute there? Jesus hung out with prostitutes. They even accused him of being an alcoholic. Why? Because he drank wine and hung out with people who drank wine. I have no doubt today that at the U of A game, Jesus would have ordered a beer. I've got no doubt. But most people, most people who call themselves Christian are horribly offended with that idea. Challenging book, I'm telling you, it's a challenging book. So, at the introduction to the book, he lists four Christian paradigms that I want to share with you. The first one, just go ahead and put it up on the, on the screen, is church plus culture minus gospel equals liberalism. He's basically saying what's out there today in ministry and where their shortcoming is, and let's do better. So here's the first shortcoming. You got a liberal church, so they have the church. They have engagement with the culture. The liberal churches are good at that. They don't run away from anything. They try to get right into the heart of things and minister to people. They're not afraid of the culture at all. So he lauds them for their engagement in the culture, and they're part of the church, which is what the Bible wants us to be part of, but they miss out on the gospel. So the liberal church format is unacceptable. They've got two out of the, two out of the three. It's not good enough. You can't have a church without the gospel with meaningful ministry. You can have ministry, but not meaningful ministry. That is ministry that gets people to heaven at the end game. So he says he has to reject that paradigm. Here's the second paradigm, which he calls fundamentalism. You got the church, you got the gospel, but you don't engage with the people in the culture. So you might preach the gospel right, tell people the message of how to get saved, but where do you preach it? Within your own four walls. Would you go to a bar and preach it? No, I don't go to bars. Or if you went, you'd go in as some holier-than-thou person to look down your nose at everybody in there drinking, you know, a beer. And then we set ourselves up as holier-than-thou because we would never do that. And now we want to engage with them in an intellectual, stimulating conversation, figure that they should respect us for what we have to say, though we disrespect them for doing something that the Bible says they shouldn't do. 
doesn't say they shouldn't do, I should say. The Bible does condemn alcoholism. It, it does condemn drunkenness. That's an excess. But the Bible also condemns gluttony, which is an excess of food. But I would never show up at a smorgasbord. I would never go to a buffet because there's sinners there. They're all eating too much. There is no difference. None at all. See, it's our culture. And our culture is keeping us from engaging within our culture meaningfully and helping people get saved. Our tradition. Third paradigm. Gospel plus culture minus church equals parachurch. This would, uh, parachurch's organ, organizations aren't bad organizations. They just don't have the full picture. Parachurch organization would be uh, Gospel Rescue Mission or maybe K-Love, Focus on the Family, Campus Crusade for Christ. They're good organizations. They got the gospel. They engage in the culture. But they are not a church. They don't have the full package. Now, I'm sure I've already offended several of you, and it's definitely not my intent, and I'm going to offend some of you more, and again, it's not my intent, but I believe what I'm saying to be true, and I have to share it. A lot of people, like Caleb, will have an annual fundraising thing, and a lot of people send off their checks because Caleb does great work. They love the station, and Caleb ministers to people. So what's the problem, Steve? The problem is most of these people are signing their checks to Caleb and not to their own churches. That's the problem. Most churches, by most I mean all, but I can't say all because I don't know the statistics. I do know that the average evangelical, according to Barna, gives two and a half to three and a half percent of their income to their church. Most churches can't fully staff themselves. Most churches can't replace air conditioners and roofs. Most churches can't do what God has called them to do, in part, because of the finances in the church are so weak. So should we be sending money off to Caleb when our own church is suffering? No. Home first, ministry here first, and then if you've got extra, if God has blessed you with more, by all means, support all those awesome ministries. Here first, the church, and then out there. Well, Steve, I, church, I support the Crisis Pregnancy Center. We don't have a Crisis Pregnancy Center in our church. Yeah, well, if our giving multiplied 10 times, maybe we would. Why don't we? Because we can't afford to. That's one of the reasons. We've got it backwards. So, gospel plus culture minus church equals parachurch. It's good, but it's not the full thing. What is the full thing? You want a good church that preaches the gospel and fully and completely engages in the culture. He calls that reformation. He went with liberalism, fundamentalism, parachurch, and reformation. And he says, that's a very rare church. And this is the paradigm he wants to promote in churches. It's a good paradigm. The Apostle Paul went to a place in Athens where everywhere he turned were idols. He's an Orthodox Jewish man, a follower of Jesus. So he, became an, he was an Orthodox Jewish man, a rabbi, and became a follower of Jesus. How would he feel in the company of all those idols? 
And he's walking through town, and he purposefully heads to the one spot in town where all the intellectual people and the elite people go to discuss politics and religion. And he stands up, gets up where people can hear him, and says, Men of Athens, I'm visiting your city, and I perceive that you are very religious. In fact, you've got a God to everything. But I did notice one of your altars was very unique. It said to the unknown God. That's the God I worship. And I'd like to tell you about him. He made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. He used to ignore the way we behaved. But he doesn't want to do that anymore. He sent a Savior who died for our sins and rose again. We must repent of our sins and believe in Jesus. Some people laughed, especially when he talked about the resurrection of the dead. Others said, would you tell us more? That was a radical reformation message. Let me tell you how that message could have gone. Liberalism. You know, you, you got your religion, we got ours, come see, come saw. As long as you're nice to people, God bless you. Have a nice day. Fundamentalism. You're a bunch of pagan sinners going to hell. You're worshiping idols. You're going to burn, burn, burn. Oh, tell us more, please. <laughs> the Reformation message was the only good message to give. Check it out. You look at the sermon of Paul at Mars Hill. By the way, Mark Driscoll's church is called Mars Hill. You look at that message. Then you look at Jesus, how he treated that Samaritan woman at the well. He could have said, you, well, let's go over here. You're a Samaritan. Ah, you got your opinion, we've got ours. Yeah, you've married, what is it, eight, ten guys? Ah, must make for a hard life. God bless you. You slutty whore! You dump seven men and you're married to the eighth? You're going to hell! Just telling it how it is, people. Jesus sits down next to her. He already broke the culture. Would you give me a glass of drink, a glass of water from the well? You broke the culture again. She said, how do you, a Jew, ask water from me, a Samaritan? Talking to her, broke the culture again. And he said, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for water because the water I give will spring up as a well unto everlasting life and you'll never thirst again. By the way, both times, those people were right. But their approach was wrong. Both times was right here and their approach was right and they're just wrong. <laughs> October 31st, Halloween, the second most popular holiday in our culture. And if there's any tradition that is contrary to biblical standards, it would be that one. So what do we do? Invite all the witches from the local coven, give candy to the children, 
and give thanks for Mother Earth. Put a big sign on your door. Spawn of Satan. Don't ring the doorbell. Halloween is an evil holiday. You're going to hell. Repent. Okay, I'm giving extremes. <laughs> Turn on your lights. Pass out the best candy in the neighborhood with a tract that tells the little children about Jesus. Because they're coming to your door like this. Put in there whatever you want. Well, by all means, throw in a Snickers bar and a gospel tract and wish them a fun and happy night. That's it. You don't have to say you disapprove of Halloween or approve of Halloween. All you know is your neighbor's kid is knocking on your door asking for a treat. For goodness sakes, what an opportunity. Treat them. Give them the best treat they've ever had. Well, it's on Wednesday night. We're all going to be here Wednesday night. We always get together on Wednesday night. Should we cancel services? No. Ah, I know what we'll do. We'll open up our north parking lot. And we'll put a barricade up so cars can't drive in. And all the kids who walk by this neighborhood doing trick-or-treating will throw up the trunks of our cars, fill them with candy, and say, hey, come get some candy. And when they open their bag, we'll give them some candy and a little gospel tract. And maybe set out a jumping castle. And maybe some game booths to give them a wholesome night that's safe on church property. And maybe they'll think, hey, what else do you do here? By the way, for those of you involved in Awana, what a recruiting night. Children's ministries, what a recruiting night. Hey, if you thought this was fun, you should come on Wednesday night. We're making cat eyeball soup. <laughs> and you tell their parents, hey, you worried about your kids being disrespectful and stuff? We teach our children here how to honor God. We teach them about God, and we have fun, and we teach them how to honor their parents. So, Wednesday night, free of charge, why don't you drop your kids off to us for an hour and a half? We'll take good care of them and give them back to you. Wow. You see, how do you meet those people? You engage with the culture. One more concept towards a balanced life of traditions if your tradition is not mandated by God and it hinders you from effectively reaching out, change your tradition. Now, there's a caveat to that, okay? You have to use wisdom. I would have no problem ministering in almost any bar in Tucson. I'm not afraid of alcohol and I'm not tempted by alcohol. Alcohol, I'm not gonna become an alcoholic, no worries. I don't think I want to go to a biker bar because I'd probably either get beat up or beat somebody up and that wouldn't be good for ministry. <laughs> but what if you have a problem with alcohol? Well, then that's not your ministry. Find another ministry. I knew this guy, I kid you not, he's probably about 75, 80 years old. He ministered at Hooters and he invited me to join him. <laughs> and I've never been into a Hooters and I don't ever plan on going into a Hooters. I said, no, thanks. He says, no, they're nice girls. I said, I'm sure they are. <laughs> when I'm 75 or 80, maybe I'll join you. 
but my ministry is not going to be to prostitutes. I'm not saying that girls at Hooters are prostitutes. I'm, that's a separate, separate statement. I'm just saying we got to know where to draw our lines. And I'm not going to minister to young, attractive women and put myself out at risk. That's what I'm trying to say. So you got to know where to draw the line. Don't be afraid to engage with the culture. But if the culture is going to dirty you, stay away from whatever piece of that culture can dirty you. That's what I'm trying to say. If I offended you, by the way I said what I said, I apologize. It was not my intent to offend you. I used some harsh language, and that's just who I am. But if what I said offended you, not how I said it, but what I said offended you, I challenge you to research the scriptures and see if I'm right. And get Pastor Mark Driscoll's book. It might upset you. It upset me. I wanted to throw it across the room a couple times. Literally. But here I am recommending you struggle with that book too. Why? Because it's, it's not about whether we get offended or not. It's about serving Jesus Christ and helping people get saved. And we need to get everything out of the way that keeps us from doing that. Please join me in prayer. Okay, Lord. The line has been drawn. You've shown us, and you've shown me. Help us to be holy enough to reject our self-made standards that are keeping us from reaching out to people. Help us to embrace the concept of reaching out through our culture. Help us to be culturally liberal, but theologically conservative. Show us where we act holier than now, Show us where we are the offense and help us to be like Jesus. God, we know we fall short. Help us not to. And help us to bless people on the 31st and invite a bunch of children into our church. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.